Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I have a really great podcast for you. I sat with Ivan Soto Wright, the CEO and co-founder of MoonPay, and he told it was a really, really wide-ranging conversation. We talked everywhere from the impetus of MoonPay to the history of MoonPay to how Ivan got into Bitcoin, what Ivan thinks of the Bitcoin evolution in this market cycle, and how Bitcoin is so anti-fragile. MoonPay is a really awesome infrastructure and Bitcoin purchasing company. And really what they're trying to do is they're trying to bring the exchange to your wallet on your phone. So that way you don't have to deal with a Coinbase. You don't have to deal with a custodian who is going to hold onto your coins and you have to withdraw from them. Really, MoonPay is about making Bitcoin and acquiring Bitcoin as non-custodial as possible. So uh, right now, it's just credit cards and debit cards, Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and all that kind of stuff. But they are integrating into everything across tons of different countries, 160 countries uh, to date, and they're not stopping. So they're focused on a ton of different stuff, and they're just trying to bring the best services to Bitcoiners and get in the most wallets. So that way, hey, you can pull a blue wallet, and instead of ever having to deal with an exchange, you, you use fiat to buy Bitcoin and it goes straight to your wallet and you don't have to deal with it. It's a much better experience. It's really what I want to give to my mom. Uh, but, you know, there hasn't been something out there. And they're even going to bring out auto DCA at some point. So I asked them about that. I know Bitcoiners love to auto DCA. So imagine using MoonPay, using your favorite wallet, auto DCA directly into your wallet. Like, can't, can't beat that. That's just freaking awesome. Um, so Y'all, you're going to love this interview with Ivan. Uh, let's just get right into it. Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I am sitting across the screen from Ivan Soto Wright, the CEO and co-founder of MoonPay. Personally, I think one of the coolest ways that you can get Bitcoin, one of the coolest infrastructure companies out there building out amazing banking and financial technology, uh, bridging fiat and Bitcoin together. Um, Ivan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. So Ivan, um, like I said, you co-founded MoonPay. Um, do you kind of just want to quickly describe what is MoonPay? Uh, I feel like it's something that a lot of Bitcoiners use without really even necessarily knowing it. It's kind of just built in uh you know, kind of underground as Bitcoin infrastructure. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think Bitcoin will succeed when you don't necessarily know uh, that there's all these uh, complex things underneath the hood and you can just use it. Right. Um, so MoonPay, in a nutshell, we want to make it easy for a billion people to get into Bitcoin. Um, we are really focused on providing the payments infrastructure, connecting the legacy financial system uh, into Bitcoin. And so if you think about it, right, if you want to bring a billion people into the space, um, you have to think about what are all those distribution points that you can tap on. And so for us, we started with the distribution point of debit and credit cards. That's kind of our, I think our, our, our probably most popular product is people using MoonPay to buy Bitcoin with their debit and credit card. And with that, obviously, Apple Pay, if it's on mobile or Google Pay, if you're using an Android device or, or Samsung Pay. Um, but really, our, our ambition is, is pretty big. We want to cover every single payment method across every single geography while focusing on providing the very best conversion and end user experience to make it easy for people to basically navigate and, and buy Bitcoin. So, I mean, 
the the actual tech stack is really flexible, right? So for example, uh, we put in the MoonPay widget onto the Bitcoin 2021 website that allowed people to get the Bitcoin discount. Um, if you pay in Bitcoin, you save $200, but they could still pay with their fiat. So it's almost like having your cake and eating it too. But at the same time, you know, I can open a non-custodial Bitcoin app and if they're integrated with MoonPay, I can buy Bitcoin straight to my wallet without ever having to deal with a custody account or ever having to deal with, you know, going to Coinbase, withdrawing it, any of that. It's just kind of acquiring Bitcoin almost like the right way. Yeah, 100%. I mean, for us, I think the real value prop is around convenience. Uh, you don't want to have all these different steps for Bitcoiners to get into Bitcoin in the first place. You want to have it right there and then your wallet. And I think that was one of the big bets that we took pretty early on. You know, I think a lot of people were ignoring, you know, obviously um, people were able to buy get Bitcoin from the major exchanges. But if you think about it, it's, it's still kind of complicated um, for a lot of people to navigate uh, going to a cryptocurrency exchange. And, and some of the experiences were definitely more technical oriented, you know, putting in limit orders if you're more savvy. Whereas for most retail customers, mo most people that uh, are basically learning about Bitcoin for the first time, uh, they just want a really simple buy button, right? And, and that's really what we specialize in is just giving that buy button and on top of all of these different places, whether it be in the internet or the app store, uh, where people can just buy the Bitcoin right there and then and start uh, participating in the ecosystem. Yeah, I, I love it. And again, I think one of the biggest issues for early adoption, adoption, and maybe it was inevitable, is that like the only way to buy Bitcoin was like in the form of either a wire transfer or it like looked like a brokerage account, right? Like all the early exchanges look like a brokerage account. And I'm just going to be honest, the majority of people don't know what a brokerage account looks like, don't invest in stocks or equities, right, you know, right. but a lot of people are are familiar with like, you know, basic electronic payments, uh, using Apple Pay, using a credit card, that kind of stuff. So I, I love that MoonPay has, from a UX perspective, really um, improved on acquiring Bitcoin. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the big uh, nuance there is, you know, there, there's some applications in some of the brokerage accounts today where you might be getting exposure to Bitcoin, right? But you don't actually physically take possession of that asset. You, do, you believe you haven't set up a wallet. You don't have a public and private key. You know, I think Bitcoin is really about financial freedom. Um, and so really the nature of MoonPay when we started the business was we wanted to be non-custodial uh, to make it really easy for people to just plug in their wallets and, and be able to actually, rather than just giving people exposure to Bitcoin and saying that they have it and trusting someone else, you know, empowering them with the ability to take possession of their Bitcoin uh, and actually physically deliver on the blockchain. And you know, I think that is one of the hard things that we do, right? Because you know, the nature of combining a, a non-final payment method, which is a lot of the existing financial infrastructure that we have today, like a debit and credit card, and a final payment method, uh, which is part of the beauty of Bitcoin, right? It's, you know, you can't basically recall that transaction once it's, uh, you know, once we've decided to, to, to actually deliver to a particular wallet address. And so, you know, with that, there's obviously fraud. So you have to basically um, be able to cover off those risks. And, and that's part of our model is to try to, you know, we eat risks around chargebacks and fraud. We try to do as much as we can uh, to write a safe experience to our users. But, you know, it's, it's essentially a much harder problem to solve than to say, hey, you have Bitcoin somewhere once you've, you know, put your credit card in and said that you wanted to buy some Bitcoin. No, we actually physically deliver it. So then you can actually use it and take control of it. Yeah, no, I, I I love that explanation. And actually, a couple of questions down, I wanted to ask about like the challenges in doing that. 
But before we kind of get into the challenges, the interesting thing here is that like this isn't a Bitcoin problem, the challenge that you're solving. Like this is a fiat problem. The fact that there is no finality with credit cards and debit cards. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. Like this is kind of like a nuanced thing of the payment system that I didn't know until I started going deep on Bitcoin. But uh, do you like kind of want to just talk about like uh, you know this issue? I guess like you know the current state of the fiat payment uh, situation and, and why yeah. that is turned into a, a challenge when dealing with Bitcoin and other cryptos. Yeah, just I guess just stepping back from the whole thing, right? Um, it's crazy that it's so expensive to move money around, right? Uh, anywhere from point A to point B, uh, there's all these costs, and essentially. Um, you know, the legacy system was not built in a time where internet was super prevalent. Like some of these uh, technologies have been 20, 30 years old, right? Some of the, the Fed banking wire system and some of the systems that we've had, they're not internet, internet native in nature. And so I think what really attracted me to Bitcoin is this idea that anyone with an internet, internet connection anywhere in the world now has access to financial services. And so, you know, for us, it's all about, you know, how do we uh, bring as many people into this new ecosystem of Bitcoin. And that's about building the backwards compatibility, right, to, to all of these different payment methods. And so, as I mentioned before, debit and credit cards is where we started. There's obviously frictions associated with it because you have the case of chargebacks, right? They can call their bank and say, hey, I didn't make this transaction. Um, but, you know, I think there, there's obviously uh, you know, something beautiful about the final nature of Bitcoin. I think, you know, what's interesting about Bitcoin today, and, you know, this probably goes into another uh, topic is, you know, scaling it, right? Um, you know, the, the, the layer one of Bitcoin, um, I don't think necessarily was meant to scale, right? Um, the, the, way, the, the layer one of Bitcoin, um, I think, you know, Bitcoin has so many properties that make it special, uh, that make it sound money. I, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin uh, over the long term because, you know, there's right now we're just trying to find a number of different ways to scale this because for this to be uh, to really be adopted globally, we think transaction costs need to tend to zero. And we think we can get there either whether it be through lightning, whether it be through side chains, you know, essentially I see all of these other protocols or other technologies as ways to ultimately improve Bitcoin because you can wrap the fundamental Bitcoin asset on these new blockchains in the same way that, you know, if you think about our fiat system, right, it's built on, you know, the Fed federal banking system. And then we have all these layers of nuances on top. We're basically starting fresh but we're starting with this internet native digital currency that settles over blockchain. So that's what I find so fascinating is we're kind of reinventing uh, and rebuilding from scratch from, you know, a sounder money principle. And, 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 and that is what gets me super excited is, is just kind of trying to get as many people into this new crypto economy uh, powered by Bitcoin. And, you know, it, it just goes back to we got to cover every single payment method. That makes sense. And uh, I, you know, I kind of agree with your take, right? Like the Bitcoin blockchain is there to preserve the unit, to make it incorruptible. And I guess as a final settlement layer, as that final uncensorable payment network, but ultimately it's, it's going to be an expensive payment network to tap into directly. Uh, and that's why we have all of these adjacent technologies. I, I too think that altcoin chains are part of the Bitcoin stack. Yep. I too think that centralized payment providers are part of the Bitcoin stack. So um, I, I think, you know, Bitcoin Tina put out a quote that I love, which is Bitcoin's like water, can't stop it and it gets everywhere. So I think that that is definitely happening. Yeah, no, I, I definitely share the same take. 
So I want to, Ivan, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about your Bitcoin journey. It sounds like you get it. Um, you know, obviously you get it enough to make a bet and build a business around it. And I largely think that you're making amazing decisions and I love the product. Uh, I would love to hear like, you know, kind of like the genesis of that. Yeah. So my story is definitely unconventional. Uh, so I started uh, my career in pensions, uh, which I think when most people hear the word pensions, it sounds kind of like a boring term. Uh, it's something uh, that that has uh, a lot of history, right? You know, we had this idea that you'd work for one employer and you'd have this nest egg and, you know, your employer would match contributions into it. Uh, and then you'd ultimately retire. Uh, I think that is com completely fundamentally changing. But Essentially, I started my career working in pensions and working in portfolio construction specifically. And what was interesting was it was at like the highest level of kind of, you know, in terms of the, the pools of money that we were working with, they're, you know, multi-billion dollar pension fund portfolios. And this was post-financial crisis. And so what ended up happening was there were a lot of pension funds that were in deficit. They need to get back on track. And so I worked at a boutique in London called Reddington. Uh, we ended up becoming one of the largest investment advisors in the UK. And basically the job there was to hedge out the biggest risk that these pension funds face on the liability side. So it was something called liability-driven investments. So we would hedge out interest rates and inflation risk, and then we'd focus on the strategic asset allocation. So it was really cool because you kind of get this bird's eye view of all the different asset classes, how the asset universe works, and how all these different components basically fit together. And so, you know, from there, I guess I always looked at crypto through that lens, right? And Bitcoin specifically, right? Bitcoin, uh, I always saw it as this new asset class, right? And if you look at it in terms of the, the asset universe, and what was so interesting about it is it had some, so many different and unique properties relative to other asset classes that we've seen in the past. Uh, hedge funds was probably the, the latest asset class that we had uh, that predated, you know, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, really, you know, it was a reserved small few set of people that could gain access to, to hedge funds, which essentially have all these in incredible cool tools that you, you know, they're basically trying to outperform the market, do all these kind of smart things. Um, whereas with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, um, it was really democratizing. Everyone is now essentially getting access to all these financial tools uh, that are being built in this kind of internet native way. Uh, and I think the distribution of it was so interesting. The fact that it started with retail, right? It started, it's not institutional investors buying Bitcoin first. It's, you know, really a ground, a grassroots movement, right? And so for me, I, I first discovered Bitcoin in 2012. My good friend had wrote his thesis on Bitcoin. Uh, and I remember I was like, I wish I was writing this thesis. It sounds way more interesting than the one I was writing. Um, and so that's when I first kind of discovered it. Um, and then, you know, basically was looking at it when I was working in the world of investment and saying, you know, this, this to me feels like a, a new asset class. Um, and if you look at it from that lens, right, you see that it could have massive potential, right? Uh, in, my, in my mind, you know, you look at gold, right? Gold, $10 trillion asset class. Uh, at the time, you know, Bitcoin was, you know, I think a, less than $100 billion when I was first, you know, really seriously looking at it. Um, and so I think just just seeing that it could be you know a replacement to gold or even uh, you know obviously much more than that with the entire ecosystem of financial applications being being built on top of it, uh, it just fascinated me. And so I didn't really do much with it until about um, you know I, so so essentially in 2015 I left uh, to set up my first business, um, and my first business was around uh, trying to make it easier for people. Um, to save money and then invest that money. So I guess my general theme is I'm, I'm just really interested in giving people more access to economic freedom. And I think, you know, to, to get people to have economic freedom, they need their money to work.
get their money to work for them, they need to build some savings and then be able to invest uh, that savings. So I built a platform called Savable. What it did was it would connect it to your uh, bank account. Uh, it would run an algorithm on your checking account, figure out how much you could move into spare cash flow, uh, and then and then move it into a savings account on your behalf. It was a cool idea in practice, but the problem was, I mean, it was my first startup. I had you know starry eyes that I could build this incredible retail consumer proposition. But what you find is it's really hard to acquire customers, um, and I think the proposition, you know, people were a little bit sketched out uh, with connecting their bank account. Um, and, you know, I think it's kind of similar to, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was sketchy to put your credit card online. Like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Uh, it was kind of similar. I think people right now aren't necessarily using their bank account uh, to pay for things or to, to basically, you know, it, it's definitely a, a bigger friction point than using, for example, like a debit and credit card. So uh, I think that was definitely a challenge that we you know had to overcome. Uh, but the reality was it was a very difficult business. Interest rates were super low at the time as well. So the incentive to build savings, right, is, is low. And so um, it's kind of like a flossing your teeth type product than a product that you absolutely need. And so, um, you know, 2017, uh, that was a really special year, uh, I think, for everyone. Um, you know, I think uh, that's where crypto really, I think, had a breakthrough moment. Uh, it was impossible to ignore what was happening with Bitcoin uh, at that point. And so um, at that point, you know, I started to think, you know, I ended up, uh, we ended up selling uh, Savable to another business called Plum, uh, their, their UK-based automated savings app and doing, you know, they basically out-executed on my original vision. So they're doing a great job with it. Um, but, you know, essentially in, in 2017, uh, that's when I started to really look into crypto and starting to really look into Bitcoin. And I said, you know, what are the biggest barriers to adoption? And I started to basically research. I started to download all these different apps and try to figure out, you know, how can I buy Bitcoin? Like, what, what's the first step? Like, I need to buy Bitcoin. And I remember there wasn't really good retail uh, cryptocurrency wallets at that time. Like the most of the wallets, like they had functionality to send and receive, but they didn't have the functionality for you to top up directly. And uh, so at first we were looking at kind of building a wallet, but what ended up happening was my co-founder, uh, Victor, um, who I hired from Apple. He was uh, in the internal tools team at Apple, had spent some time at Apple. Um, he, he worked with me and my, my first business, Savable. We both had this passion around doing something in crypto. And um, we ended up um, building kind of this prototype, which eventually got in the hands uh, of Roger uh, at Bitcoin.com. And uh, he sent us an email saying, hey, this, you know, this kind of wallet that you built is really cool. We'd love to talk about um, you know, how we could work together. And I think and on our side, uh, we started to do some research on Bitcoin.com and we saw this huge opportunity um, because you know, what, what we saw is there was a solution that could accept debit and credit cards, but it was a little bit clunky. It was really expensive. At the time, I think the service was charging 10% every time someone was trying to buy with their, their debit and credit card. And so Victor and I said, let's, let's try to build something a little bit more seamless, something a little bit better. And that ultimately is what became MoonPay. Um, we built an API for the ground up for Bitcoin.com. That was our first customer. So an incredible first customer to have. And then from there, um, it just became one of those things where a lot of people were asking us, hey, could we have something similar? Uh, so, you know, it was pretty organic. And then it was, you know, we took this bet that we thought more and more activity was going to happen on these retail wallets. And so I flew out all around the world, meeting amazing founders, building different wallets and different applications in crypto and said, let's, let's help build your infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, we, you know, th that's kind of the story of MoonPay. It's been two years uh, since we, we started the business, our first transaction went live in, uh, March of, of 2019. So, you know, uh, 
two years and, and three months uh, in the kind of genesis and story of MoonPay, but it's been an uh, exciting ride. We've, we've been a bootstrap business. Um, you know, and, and now what we're really trying to do is, you know, how do we take things to the next level? Um, and I think for us, it's, you know, more and more payment methods, really focusing on conversions, making this experience as best as possible. Um, you know, there's just a ton of work that we, we, we have uh, ahead of us. So it's, uh, it's exciting, keeps me motivated every single day. All right, let's take a quick break from that episode. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor. It is Bitcoin 2022 conference. I am sure you saw the videos. You may have been there in person. Bitcoin 2021 was an absolute smashing success. It was the biggest conference in Bitcoin history, crypto history, whatever history of the digital asset sphere. Bitcoin is number one and the Bitcoin 2021 conference is number one with a bullet. It was an absolutely incredible time. I was working my ass off the whole time, but I got to meet so many incredible community members. And I think the best testament to how amazing Bitcoin 2021 was, was not just all of the amazing, you know, accolades and, uh, and compliments that I got personally and our team got, but also it's the skin in the game in Bitcoin 2022. We have already sold close to 1500 tickets. That is more than 10% of the people, everyone who went to Bitcoin 2021 have already purchased tickets to Bitcoin 2022. We have not released a date. We have not released a city. We have not released anything. That is the biggest compliment. That is the biggest skin in the game of the community being down for this conference. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be bigger than Bitcoin 2021. It is going to be better than Bitcoin 21 in every single way. And we are going to be bringing you the best opportunity to mingle with the biggest, the baddest, the most Bitcoin people on the planet. So join the revolution. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets today. I don't know what the ticket prices are. They are going up. I think they're $249 right now. We just rolled out fiat ticket uh, purchases. All the tickets purchased before today were all purchased in BTC. So get it, guys. Get it. Get this ticket. Be at Bitcoin 2022. See you there. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you guys about The Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is a new premium newsletter from the Bitcoin Magazine team in conjunction with my man, BTCization, Dylan LeClaire. Dylan is such a multifaceted and wide-ranging analyst. He does everything from on-chain analytics to macro uh, analysis to uh, you know hash rate and all that kind of good stuff. He does it all. He breaks down everything that's happening every single day with his daily dive. He's going to dive into what is happening in the market that day. So that way you don't have to pay attention to Twitter. You don't have to pay attention to anything else. You can just pay attention to the deep dive and he has you covered. And at the end of the week, guess what? You get a weekly recap. And at the end of the month, hey, we have a freaking report, a beautiful PDF breaking down all the activity of that entire month, what it means for Bitcoin, what you can expect moving forward. The Bitcoin market is going to moon we are here to make sure that we maximize your stack. Go to members.bitcoinmagazine.com to sign up today. And if you use promo code BITS, you can get one month for free. So again, the deep dive, I've been checking it out every day and you should too. Back to the show. That's an incredible story. Um, you know, I think a lot of Bitcoiners have uh, strong and hard feelings against Roger uh, and Bitcoin.com just over the Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash debacle and marketing. But regardless, I think that your story is at the same time a, a great example of, you know, 
Bitcoin's an anti-fragile beast. And even, uh, you know, even people who may uh, be upset at Bitcoin or Bitcoiners can still inspire, yeah. uh, you know, and be the first customer to a, a great and huge company. Well, one, one thing I would say is, yeah, Bitcoin's been going through many different tests. And I think ultimately it's just making it more resilient, right? Um, and, and, you know, I think another one that's been in the front of everyone's mind recently has been Elon Musk. You know, I actually think Elon Musk is doing a service to Bitcoin, right? He's the mo- you know, one of the most wealthy people in the world, uh, you know, obviously tweeting crazy things uh, that is moving the market. But, you know, this is an important stress test for Bitcoin, right? Uh, a person, a single person shouldn't be able to move the market. Um, so I think, you know, all of this in the long term, and you've seen him, how he's kind of flip-flopped and shifted his position. I think this is all testing the resilience of Bitcoin, which is a good thing uh, over the long term. So, you know, I think all of the, every single event is making Bitcoin stronger. So that, that's kind of how, that's the view I look at it. No, again, I think uh, me and you agree once again, we agree for sure. Bitcoin is an anti-fragile beast. I feel like sometimes Bitcoiners want to, you know, baby Bitcoin, take care of Bitcoin. But the reality is we're fragile. Our companies exactly. are fragile. We get tougher. Our, we get, we get tougher. Are fragile. We get, yeah, we get, we get tougher every single day. You know, one of the one of the mindsets we have at MoonPay, the one word I think that tries to capture our culture and our, our value is Kaizen, uh, which means change for the better. Uh, and the way I think about it is it's just continuous improvement, right? Uh, if you're, you know, if you're making 1% improvement every single day, that massively starts to compound. Um, and actually, if you look at our journey, we grew about almost 3000% over a period of a year at MoonPay. And that pretty much equates to 1% growth every single day, which is pretty crazy if you look at it, uh, from, from that perspective. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, from, 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 from our perspective, it's just, you know, all of the stuff we, we have, we're constantly just trying to get better, Right. Uh, it's not a perfect solution, you know. From our side, I think one of the big things that we're trying to work on is, you know, we do support other uh, cryptocurrencies beyond Bitcoin, but we actually see the reason why that's important is the more volume that we do, the better unit economics that we have, which can ultimately translate into better savings for end customers, right? Because this is ultimately, if you're using the fiat rails, everything's economies of scale game. So it's really about how do we capture as much volume as possible. Because with as much volume as possible, the more uh, power we have to be able to get the best rates, which ultimately translate into a cheaper service to end users. You know, the reality for us is it's still expensive to buy Bitcoin through debit and credit card. And I think it will always be somewhat expensive because of these fraud risks that I mentioned before, right? We have to eat those costs around chargebacks. In some cases, in different parts of the world, we have different uh, KYC regulations that we need to follow. We're trying to build a business that's going to be here for you know the time to come. And so we have to play along with the rules and regulations in the different countries in which we operate. Um, and so all of those components, and then you think about the network fees, withdrawal fees, all these different components add up into cost. And you know, our goal is to try to reduce those costs as much as possible. We also had to be really smart because you know we're bootstrapped, right? So we didn't have a ton of venture capital to you know essentially make our our, our costs cheaper. That's obviously something we might explore in the future is to to really figure out you know how can we bring down those cost bases in general, and make Bitcoin more accessible to more people. Uh, but it's you know it's a continuous improvement job. So I again. Uh... I think it's really interesting to talk about like the business side of things, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You all are operating in 130 different countries right now. 160 countries. 160. So I, I undershot. I apologize there. But 160 different countries. Um, in terms of like the challenge of rolling out a global fiat, you know, 
payment, con- you know, payment system, like uh, purchasing Bitcoin system, like 160 is a huge, it's a huge amount of variables, huge amount of countries, huge amount of like, you know, regulatory um, jurisdictions that you just have to deal with. Like, how, how is that even possible? And what's that challenge been like? Yeah. So, I mean, that was the reason why we started with Visa and MasterCard, right? Um, and started with debit and credit cards is, you know, a lot of people were focused first on the bank transfers, right? But then you have to go country by country because all these countries have different uh, banking systems. So eventually we're going to get there, obviously, but it made more sense to me if we wanted to have a bigger impact sooner to start with debit and credit cards, because you already have so many people with Visa and MasterCards in their pocket, right? Um, you know, or they have Apple Pay already enabled on their phone. And so, you know, it comes back to the distribution points, right? Um, and, and so, you know, I think from our side, uh, we're always taking a conservative approach um, in terms of thinking about how we make sure that this business is compliant in all the different jurisdictions in which we operate. Uh, we have global entities in many different parts of the world. Um, you know, we have uh, teams of lawyers uh, in, in many different jurisdictions, and we're just making sure that we're always, you know, it, it's a it's a difficult space because it's so fast moving, right? And the regulation, the, the challenge is some some countries aren't necessarily clear uh, on, you know, the, the regulatory framework and it's constantly evolving. So we have to essentially remain on top of that. Uh, but we do the very best that we can, uh, and, and just realize that, um, you know, it's, it's just basically a, a constantly moving goalpost, uh, for us and we just need to be on top of it. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the exciting piece now, I think for us is, you know, debit and credit cards don't have the highest penetration rates in all parts of the world, right? In some parts of the world, uh, more local bank transfer methods are, are more popular, or even e-transfer payment methods are more popular. And in some of those cases, they're actually much cheaper uh, payment rails to actually use, right? Um, you know, and this is one of the things that is really interesting. If you study payments, right, um, in Asia, uh, most people... Uh, pay by QR code, right? Um, so they're actually more advanced in a lot of cases and they pay with their bank account. And so the cost is actually way lower than in kind of the Western world where most people are, are dominant on using their debit and credit cards. And there's a lot of reasons why I think we, we, we've been stuck to using our debit and credit cards. There's a lot of addicting loops that are being built into reward systems inside of those credit cards to keep you using them. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately it doesn't make sense like the cost of, you know, we're essentially being taxed on every single transaction. You might not know it, right? But essentially the merchant has to inflate the cost of their goods uh, because of the, the, the basically inefficiencies with using the existing payment systems. And so, you know, I think bank based, so basically step one, I think was kind of debit and credit card. Step two for us is now doing more of the local payment methods. And, you know, companies like Plaid, I think are doing an incredible service uh, to the world where, you know, they're connecting to bank accounts because that's a much cheaper rail to actually push out uh, money movement from than to use a debit and credit card. So that's going to be a very key focus of us over the next year is really pushing out. Uh, we're about to launch it very soon is our ACH bank transfer product. We put a lot of energy into that uh, because we think that's going to be a really important rail, especially if you want to buy much larger amounts of Bitcoin. We wouldn't recommend you put you know $20,000 in your credit card to buy Bitcoin. Uh, we do have some <laughs> some folks that, that do do that. Uh, but uh, you know, we 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 typically, you know, I think people want to get as much Bitcoin as possible. So I get it. But I do think um, for larger transaction amounts, we'd like to have more and more people uh, being able to access that through their bank account. And then it's just you know other parts of the world, right? Other bank. That's just the United States. Other parts of the world, um, you know, 
there's just other payment methods that are more popular. And so, you know, it's a, it's a massive job, but you know, we're, we're essentially the plumbers. We got to basically connect all these different pipes and uh, make sure that the pipes are flowing correctly and uh, make sure that they're converting as best as possible. Um, You know, it's also interesting because there's friction with some of the, obviously uh, some countries are, are banning Bitcoin or some countries have banks that basically don't support Bitcoin. And so, you know, problem is sometimes they, they yell at us on Twitter, they get upset that their transaction isn't going through, but you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's just that pipe just won't, you know, water can't flow through that pipe because that bank has, you know, um, imposed a block, you know, in some, some cases in the United States, for example, some credit cards you cannot use to buy uh, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin because, um, you know, the bank has essentially determined that, uh, you know, that, you know, customers can't use their credit card for that purpose, um, which I think is crazy. Um, I think that will change. Uh, we're starting to see the tune change. And, and, you know, when I started this business, like no one wanted to work with us. <laughs> I'll be clear. No one wanted to work with us to be a merchant to process debit and credit cards in the crypto. But that's now, obviously, that that whole conversation is shifting as the uh, entire audience around Bitcoin has started to mature. And so from, from our side, it's about building the very best user experience around that. So, you know, if we can basically, and we're starting to look at this right now, is, you know, we can determine based on those six digits of the card number, we can actually determine what bank that corresponds to. And we can tell you based on the data, historical data of using MoonPay across the millions of customers that have used us today, we could tell you that that bank is not crypto friendly and say, hey, uh, you know, you probably should try uh, a different debit and credit card, unfortunately, because we have a feeling this transaction might go through. You might try it, but it might not go through. So things like that, that can just make it a little bit nicer to the end user so they can understand that we're really just trying our best uh, with, with everything that we're trying to build here. Yeah. And uh, again, it's kind of incredible hearing about like, okay, there's the first world, world problems when it comes to accepting, you know, payment and and in buying and enabling the purchasing of Bitcoin. And then there's the third world problems or the emerging world problems. And they're completely different, but yet you're trying to tackle them all. Um, can you talk a little bit about the emerging economy a little bit more? Like uh, El Salvador was huge news at Bitcoin 2021. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, obviously Nigeria has been trending in this since the SARS movement over there, there over ago. Um, and it just, it just seems like Bitcoin is happening in the emerging world more quickly. And I'm just kind of curious, um, what your insight is. Yeah. I mean, I think the El Salvador news was absolutely massive. Um, that, that's such a huge development for our industry, uh, that, you know, it's, it's essentially legal tender and, a uh, you know, a sovereign government recognizes that. I mean, I think that's, that's such a huge, um, step. Um, but, you know, I think, I think from, from our side, um, yeah, it just comes down to prioritization. Um, and as I said, this whole game is around, uh, and, and part of it is also trying to understand where the puck is going to go. Right. Um, I think, you know, it would make sense that parts of Latin America are going to adopt Bitcoin faster. Why? Because they have money systems that have disadvantaged them for for decades uh, in a lot of cases, right? And we've seen what happens when you know a government starts to mess with the money supply uh, and starts to print too much. I think at Bitcoin uh, Miami there was like boulevards uh, from Venezuela. Uh, on the floor somewhere. Someone was telling me about like, there are all these boulevards that are being handed out. Uh, I mean, that, that's just the classic example of what happens with hyperinflation, right? When you print uh, too much of your currency, what can happen as a result? And I think that's one of the really special properties uh, of the finite nature of Bitcoin. Um, so I do think um, you're going to see a lot of adoption and you have some incredibly uh, motivated entrepreneurs in, in these different countries that want to bring more people, more economic freedom and, and give them the tools to do so. And so uh, it's definitely something where 
paying attention to. It's just, you know, how do we figure out, you know, and then that basically comes down to studying the world, trying to understand, okay, what is the penetration rate? Where, how are the way that, how are the ways that people actually, you know, some of them are cash-based systems. So we're going to have to figure out how we plug into those cash-based systems. I know Bitso is doing an incredible job uh, in Latin America. So that's a big shout out to, to those guys um, in terms of being able to support a lot of local payment methods. Um, I remember sitting down recently uh, with, with their CEO over dinner and he was telling me about um, how a lot of the grocery stores, that's like the distribution point. They go to the grocery store, um, they scan a QR code and that's how they can get Bitcoin. They turn in cash, they scan the QR code and they get Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, that, that, that comes down to studying, you know, different cultures are going to have different ways in which they perceive money and use money. But if you look at like history as well, and you look at like what happened in uh, Africa, I think Africa is really fascinating for, for payments, right? Because, you know, the story of M-Pesa, right? Before it became known as M-Pesa, essentially people were trading mobile phone credits around uh, as a, as a store of money. Um, because you know it was dangerous to basically set up these different uh, honeypots of you know banks in different parts of, of Africa, and it was they didn't have the infrastructure to go and do that. So they basically leapfrogged the legacy uh, you know uh, financial system in terms of thinking of setting up banks and going straight to, to phones. Um, and uh, you know I would expect Africa to be a, a very early adopter and mover of cryptocurrencies, and uh, you know so, so I think it's interesting to see. Uh, how governments are are are, are looking at this? Um, I think you know ideally it starts to shift in a place that it becomes more open. But you know it's a huge opportunity. I think that the real I think eye opener moment for me was and it goes back to what I said before, which is anyone with an internet connection now has access to financial services. Like if I want to actually send money uh, to someone in Nigeria, I can right they, as long as they can set up an internet connection, set up a public and private key, they can send me their wallet address, and I I can transmit value to them. And so. I think that's going to be a huge incentive uh, where, you know, if the, the, the money systems aren't working in some of these different countries in the world for them to leapfrog and to take advantage of this, this whole, whole movement with Bitcoin and the crypto economy. I love it. Um, and you are currently operating in Asia. Um, I'm kind of curious, do you have any like business related insights from, you know, maybe how the emerging uh, users are, are uh, behaving using MoonPay? Yeah, in Asia, I mean, we still have a lot of work to do. And, um, you know, the reality is, as I mentioned before, I think a lot of people, um, you know, debit and credit card penetration isn't as high um, as in other parts of the world. Um, you know, it's still, you know, it's still popular, but it's still, um, you know, I think we, we definitely want to be able to support more of the local payment methods in that geography. So that's obviously going to be another huge trajectory of our growth. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really from my side, it's just a prioritization game, right? It's like, I want to do everything, right? But you can't do everything. And so it's just trying to figure out, okay, based on, you know, the subset of, of different opportunities, what are the most interesting and what are the most impactful? And it's kind of just mapping out also this quadrant. I use this quadrant in terms of evaluating a lot of different things. I think, okay, what is the effort? involves with being able to turn on this like new payment method, right? And what is the impact that it's going to have? And then obviously the ones with least amount of effort with highest amount of impact are the ones that I should be targeting first, right? And so that's basically uh, my framework for trying to evaluate how to turn on new payment methods in different parts of the world. Before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Magazine is the oldest publication covering Bitcoin. And we've been covering Bitcoin since 2012. Y'all, I'm so proud to be working for Bitcoin Magazine. We spend all day trying to scour the internet for the top news, the top plebs, the top subjects, conversations, everything that has to do with BTC, the asset, BTC, the culture, BTC, the revolution. We are here for it. 
We are here for BTC and BTC only, and we want to give back to the Bitcoin community. Hit us up if you want to contribute. And uh, yeah, go follow us on Twitter. Go uh, subscribe to this podcast. Go follow us on YouTube. All of the places that you can find Bitcoin Magazine, we are there. Instagram, Reddit, everywhere. We're there. We're there. Follow us for the best Bitcoin knowledge. Back to the episode. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, very practical as well. I'm curious, like, what about MoonPay are you most proud of? What are the best features uh, that you can kind of point to? Uh, the intangible feature of having a sick team. Like, I love my team. I think that's the uh, most important thing. Um, and actually, I think it's one of the, the hardest things to quantify, right, is just like how well a team works together. Um, you know, I, I see us as like a sports team. Like we're, we're working really, really hard together. Uh, we have fun. We have great camaraderie. Like, I think that's that, that to me is what really matters, right? Life is too short to work with people uh, that you don't enjoy working with, right? And so I've worked really hard to try to build a culture where people respect each other. Uh, people have similar shared values and goals around where we want to ultimately get to. Uh, it might not be for everyone, but I think you know, if you if you can have an environment where you go into work every day and you're excited about what you're doing, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like work anymore. Um, and so, yeah, I think what I'm most proud of is you know trying to build a culture where it's fun. I also think you know we're trying we're we're trying to buck the trend a little bit. Like, you know, we don't necessarily want to become a massive company with huge amounts of employees. Like, I think we want to try to still keep ourselves lean and and, and super focused uh, as an organization. So. Um, you know, it, I think that's been fun. And the fat, the fun thing as well, Bitcoin Miami was, was really cool because I hadn't met a lot of these people, um, in person before. So a lot of these people I met over, you know, I, but it's crazy. You actually get to know people pretty well, uh, over like a zoom call. Uh, so, so it is, it is, it is kind of funny when you finally get to meet them in person, but we had 15 people, uh, we had flown out from, from different parts of the team. So it was incredible just to go to dinner and kind of meet these people face-to-face that you've been talking to for over a year over the pandemic. And so uh, I think that was that was like super cool and, and super special. But um, yeah, I think everything comes down to team and people at the end of the day, right? Um, so so I think that's that, that's the coolest feature of MoonPay. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I can say that at Bitcoin Magazine, when we got the team right, the product was right. And same with the, the Bitcoin conference. And uh, I also had a similar experience as you where um, we'd been building this team remotely for a long time. And I got to meet them all and give them hugs and hustle with them uh, in person for, for 48 hours. So uh, it is really cool. And I think that's why, you know, Bitcoin Magazine and BTC Inc. keeps, keeps you know, grinding to put on these, these uh, in-person events. Yeah. And I think, I think what's also so cool is just like how, you know, we have a really diverse uh, group of people that work at MoonPay. We had to be, we were almost, we were forced to be remote distributed before uh, COVID. COVID obviously was just an acceleration for everyone, I think, to realize the the benefits of, of working remotely, which I think has been one of hopefully the greatest impacts of people not being forced into an office every single day. Uh, you know, I think, you know, th- there's so much more to life than being stuck in an office every single day. So we try to give people more autonomy, more freedom. Uh, you know, I think the amount of time people spend commuting in and out. But I think what's so cool is just getting to know people from so many different cultures and different backgrounds and different countries. And you know, one of the questions I ask people uh, is, "How did you find out about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies?" And it's so fascinating to hear the different stories um, from different parts of the world in terms of how people uh, discovered the space. You know, and in and, and really surprising ways. Like, in, you know, uh, we have some people that joined from the Philippines, and the Philippines they're super excited uh, about cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, some of them are using it for cross-border remittances 
and receiving uh, money from abroad for for jobs abroad. So that you know they, they're used to being paid uh, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So that to me was was super fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think that's um, yeah, I, I think that's that's part of the the beauty of this kind of global uh, you know remote you know distributed world that that we can we we now have. Um, you know that that's something that's uh, you know hugely fundamentally changed over the last year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, uh, I feel like we've had similar experiences, at least with running a team remotely. I'm kind of curious, how much does like uh, being a Bitcoin or crypto enthusiast matter to you in your hiring process? For me, like we used to hire only in Nashville and it was like being in Nashville is the most important thing. Now I'm like, no, being a Bitcoiner is the most important thing. I don't care where you are locally. It's <laughs> nice to have to be in Nashville. Yeah, well, I, I think we we definitely have a preference towards people that have experience in crypto, but we do find that you know people that haven't had any experience in Bitcoin and crypto, as long as they have the right uh, intention that they want to learn and they're humble about it and they realize that hey, I'm raising my hand, I'm not an expert, but I'm here to learn. Uh, you know, we love people like that because also getting those diverse perspectives, I think, brings more Bitcoiners into the space, right? Um, we've also really prioritized hiring more women. Um, you know, I think that's a huge problem uh, in, in the industry is, you know, uh, the women, you know, like, you know, you need to have diversity uh, of opinions and thoughts if we want to make this accessible to billions of people, right? And so uh, that's something we put a lot of emphasis on is just having a, a whole range of uh, opinions and people coming from other industries, people coming from like, you know, really cool kind of like design, artistic, you know, it, I think one of the big things that uh, Bitcoin needs to overcome is the user experience, right? So building people, you know, bringing people that have built incredible user experiences in, in other industries and then bringing that into uh, fintech and crypto, I think that's also a huge plus. Um, you know, I think on my side, you know, one of the coolest things is, you know, I, I, I love playing video games as a kid. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people that play video games and bringing those concepts into, uh, you know, new applications, something as important as financial services, you know, that, that was one of the hugest, that was one of the biggest things for me that really attracted me to cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin was, you know, it, it, it makes it fun. It makes it fun to engage with, with your finances was before it was like, you know, you print out that you get this kind of terrible statement in the mail that comes out and it's just like this, like dry statement. And it's just, it, 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 it sometimes creates anxiety, right? If we can remove anxiety around you know finance um, and and make it interesting and cool and engaging and educate people um, I think that's a really good thing I mean that's the other thing financial education it blows my mind that uh, you know very little time is spent in school on financial education where it's like so important right um, and so I think you know Bitcoin and crypto can play a huge role in solving that yeah I, I would say that Bitcoin has already done more than pretty much any institution to educate the world about what is money, how the economy works, all this kind of stuff. I remember there was like a, like a, just an institution, like a, a trading Twitter account, you know, and they're like, all these Bitcoiners are like, all of a sudden, like geopolitical macro experts. And to some degree, like, I get it. Like, yeah, you know, like there's some Bitcoiners who are like grandstanding on Twitter, but at the same time, like, when you go see the IMF tweeting something out, when you go see Janet Yellen tweeting something out, I only see Bitcoiners responding. I only see Bitcoiners paying attention. Like, so to some degree, like, guess what? They are the kind of the de facto experts. Like no one else is freaking paying attention at all. So, and, and I would have to credit Bitcoin for that. And I think you're completely right that, you know, Bitcoin is, is, is reintroducing financial education to the masses kind of because you just have to accept it, right? You can't use a bank. You can't use these other folks um, 
to to like you know take away any of the the friction exactly yeah it's it's about you know uh the, i think one of the most important things is giving people autonomy right uh and and this is giving people autonomy and and uh you know they, they can learn for themselves and, and the fastest way to learn is to immediately get it into their hands and they start to understand the impact of it. Uh, and then they start to build all these applications around it. So that's why we think it's so important to onboard as many people into the space. Like when I, when people ask me, you know, about Bitcoin, you know, I, I say, first thing, go set up a wallet, like go, go set up a wallet. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, I don't necessarily have to recommend a wallet that's integrated with MinPay. I just say, you know, find whatever wallet that you can, um, and, uh, go buy some Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, you know, once, once you've bought it, I mean, it, it, it then it, it, people start to get it, right? Like you have to use it. It's like kind of like riding a bike, right? I feel like if you're, it becomes too abstractive. And, and I think the other part, the other challenge I think we have as an industry is just the media, right? And, and the media, the, the mainstream media perception of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So I'm trying to correct that. You know, for me, it's around, um, you know, this story that, you know, billions of people don't have access to financial services. And, you know, this is an opportunity Anyone with internet connection can do this. It's an incredible technology. Uh, and there's all these incredible applications that can be built on top of uh, this new sound money. And, and for whatever reason, you know, I think the mainstream media tends to focus on the wrong things. Um, and it's always around the, the negative components. But the, the one good news piece of that is what we mentioned earlier. It's making it more resilient, right? It's making it tougher. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'd really love to see more news focused on the positives, right? But probably doesn't. It's not as good clickbait <laughs> as uh, some of the negative news. Well, uh, again, as someone who runs a, a Bitcoin media company, I can tell you that fighting the fud is is tough. But I have, you know, I've met several really good reporters in the mainstream media now that are starting to follow the crypto beat and stuff like that. And we're getting better stuff. And the reality is, is that there's too much opportunity here to to live in fud. Like if you're living in FUD, you're losing out on an enormous opportunity and uh, money talks. So people will, will turn around. Uh, I think I've seen clips of like Bloomberg trashing Amazon because they're using too much coal. Like no one's even thinking about the utility of Amazon now. You know, they know it. They know it. And I think that that's going to be obvious with Bitcoin. Um, Ivan, this is a, a really great chat. I really enjoyed this one. Um, you know, before we end, I want to just like get a prediction because everyone loves predictions. But, you know, we're we're sitting here, you know, like 40 percent we'll down from from, uh, you know, local all time highs. Um, you know, the a lot of people believe that a bull market is supposed to go on for an entire year. Um, I'm kind of just curious, what what do you make of the Bitcoin market these days? And do you predict the bull to have uh, have ended or is this just a short little bump on the road? Yeah, I mean, I think I think on my side, um, you know, I'm always looking at the big picture, looking at a very long term view when it comes to Bitcoin. And if you think about it, like if you're adopting a new asset, you know, a new asset class is essentially being birthed right now. It makes sense that it's going to be a bumper ride, right? Until you see adoption, right? There is going to be tons of bumps along the road. So I think the volatility totally, you know, just makes sense to me uh, alongside the journey. But you know, for for me, I kind of look at it. I think the way I try to look at it is again. I mean, I think a good benchmark benchmark reference point is looking at gold, which is a ten trillion dollar asset class. And can Bitcoin be an effective replacement to gold? I believe yes. Um, so I think you know, if you do that, you can do the math yourself around where uh, the Bitcoin price can go. But you know, I, I generally think it, it it will go up uh, over the long term. Um, you know, it's just a matter of you know what is your time horizon uh, as an investor. But you know, I really believe in dollar cost averaging. 
investing uh, into the space, you know, being being smart about it, uh, being smart about it in terms of your overall portfolio construction and managing risk. I know that because I was a professional uh, doing that um, for, for a living. So, you know, for me, it's always, you know, trying to balance out risk and risk adjusted return. I mean, Bitcoin, I mean, it's one of the best performing asset classes um, over the last five years, uh, year to date. It's still uh, done exceptional. Um, and so you have to just kind of look at that. I think it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day uh, movements. I try to just see that all as noise, right? I think it's really hard uh, if you're if you're if you have that kind of myopic uh, mindset in terms of looking at Bitcoin. You got to look at it over kind of the long term and what it can mean uh, for the future. I mean, you know, we're we're going down different phases of our adoption cycle, and we're now at the adoption cycle of countries uh, starting to recognize it, which I think is super exciting. So you know, I, I don't pay attention too much to like bull bear market cycle. You know, when we started MinPay, uh, you know, it was it was uh, in the middle of a bear cycle, um, 2018, right? And you know, I think you know it's during those tough times where uh, you can really lean in and get stuff done. You know, sometimes I, I like it <laughs> to go to, to bear cycle mode because it enables us just, just to stay focused, right, and not look at and get caught up in any of that and any of the, the kind of short term market movement. So that that's my that's my view on it. Love it too. Um, I feel like I've just been nonstop agreeing with you. Last question, and then I'll, I'll give you a last word. But um, is there a feature uh, to do dollar cost averaging or automatic dollar cost averaging on MoonPay? And if no, when? Yeah, it's a, it's a when for sure. Uh, I think it's going to be an epic feature uh, that we want to release. I think you know the responsible way to do it is with your bank account. Like you know that that's the reality. We could set up auto buys on debit and credit cards. We will. But you know, I will try to push people to using their bank account when they can because it is a better way to dollar cost average and to use it as an investment than to use it with your uh, debit and credit card. You know, debit and credit card is a great convenient angle, right? But you know, the, the goal is we got to make it cheaper, we got to make it more efficient, we got to give the best user experience to customers to, to come into the space. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely coming soon. So the great the, the grand vision here is every non-custodial wallet that you can download can also be a fiat to Bitcoin exchange with MoonPay. That that's like the the vision here. That's the vision. Yeah, the vision is, and and just yeah, you know, again it's just about access and making it easier um and trying to solve these problems because the the problems like if you, once you get to that scale um you know it becomes it becomes easier and the cost basis just gets better. Um, so it's trying to grow as quickly as we co- as we can across all these different different distribution points, uh, and yeah, ultimately just making a, a magical customer experience for uh, for everyone. So yeah, tons of work to do. We're we're just I'd say we're like one percent on our journey. It's only been two years, so we still have a lot of work to do. Awesome. Well, I mean, again, uh, we'll be documenting it here at Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, are there any wallets that you just wish would integrate MoonPay? I know a lot of Bitcoiners <laughs> listen to this. Uh, I mean. I, I think we're, we're, probably, it, yeah. we're probably talking to all of them. You know, I think we, we have them all on our radar. So, you know, we'd love all of them to, to integrate MoonPay. But, um, you know, it, it's, um, you know, and we always try to create, you know, win-win uh, relationships. Some people try to build some of their own infrastructure, which I think makes sense uh, in some cases. And there's no, you know, there's not like a, a silver bullet here, right? There are going to be some service providers in the market that have a different payment method that we haven't integrated yet. Uh, and so I'll always be open and honest and say, hey, you know, you might want to go with those guys because at the end of the day, you know, we win if we bring more people into the space, right? And so I think it's all about being collaborative uh, with, with everyone um, and just trying to see how we can help. Well, hey, Bitcoin aligns incentives. I think that you just brought up another example. Ivan, what's your last word to the Bitcoin Magazine audience? Uh, last words. Ooh, that's you're putting me on the spot with the last words. 
Um, my last words. Um, <laughs> Don't worry uh, about it too much. You can yeah, also just well, plug well, yourself. That's fine. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think. I think Moonfay. Just watch out for us. Uh, yeah. We we have a, we have a lot of work to do. Feel free to DM me. I sort of uh, on Twitter, if you ever have an issue with MoonPay, uh, we're, we're constantly trying to work on things. We'd love your feedback. Um, you know, I think the, the feedback is what makes us better. Awesome. Well, check out MoonPay. Uh, go bug your wallet, your favorite wallet to integrate MoonPay if they don't already have it. And yeah, Ivan, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really like this one. Um, y'all, you can follow me at CK underscore snarks. You can follow Bitcoin Magazine at Bitcoin Magazine. You can get your Bitcoin 2022 tickets uh, over at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash 2022. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll see you all again in person next year. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.